right. That being said, we'll go ahead and get started this morning. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for this day. O oh Lord, we ask that you grant us wisdom and grace to understand your word. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your coming and all the times through history that you've come to crush the head of the serpent and deliver your people. Help us to look forward to your coming with great expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we're, we're studying Advent Psalms. And uh, one of the things that I want us to think about, um, and of course you might have thought, I, I don't really know of, of Advent Psalms off the top of your head. I had to do a little digging. Uh, but, but it really actually more came from looking at what the true purpose of Advent is and uh, understanding that Advent is calling for God to come with expectation that he will. And so Advent, um, a lot of times we simply look at, it, look at it as expectation of Christ's birth. And we need to remember that God comes all throughout history and time, right? Um, he came in bodily form and was born on Christmas Day. He will come at the end of time. But God, the triune God, comes frequently to crush his enemies, to judge his enemies, and to deliver his people. Um, in, in my readings, I came across an interesting uh, concept here. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien had a term for what, what Advent is. It's a eucatastrophe. Now, that's a $100 word or maybe more. I, I don't know how you spell it. Um, but, but the definition of that is a sudden happy turn in a story that pierces us with joy. So a sudden happy turn in a story that pierces us with joy. You know, have you guys felt a little like uh, things aren't going our way? Felt like that at all? Okay. In our prayers, we can pray to God that God, the just judge, to come. Right? We're told that we're not to bring vengeance ourselves, but in fact, God brings vengeance. God brings the judgment. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking a little bit about this next portion, a little bit in the, the Sunday service, but I, I want to say to you that I, one of the things that comes to mind, why do we not ask God to come as a judge? Why, why, why do we are, are not comfortable doing that? What's that? We're guilty. Right? So if we say, God, as a righteous judge, I want you to come down and judge the earth. Right? Um, we're, we're uncomfortable. And so what that causes us to do, we don't deal with our own sin. And we're not asking God to deal with sin and the wicked that abound all about us. It's a little bit of a humbling and um, Lord have mercy moment. 
right? So we're going to be looking at Psalm 94 today. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 94. Um, oh, I lost one of my sheets. Um, <clears throat> so Psalm 94 is really divided up into two halves, verses 1 through 11 and verses 12 through 23. Is there someone that would uh, like to read verses 1 through 11? Verses 1 through 11 of Psalm 94. And before you read it, please tell us what translation you're reading from so we all uh, understand that. Go ahead. Uh, New King James. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs. O God, to whom vengeance belongs. Shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Lend your punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity, those who themselves, they waken creatures, your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. Understand, you senseless among your people, and you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nation, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge, the the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. So that seems pretty dark. Um... It seems gloomy. It seems like the wicked are oppressing the righteous. And not just that, they are wickedly pressuring the weak and vulnerable. Right? We're going to dig into the verses a little bit more closely here in just a moment. But if someone would uh, read the turn, which is verses 12 through 23. Jonathan? Nichols? I'm sorry. For the Lord will not forsake his people, he will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow them. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands for, who stands up for me against the evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have hid in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slipped, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolation is within my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Can those who frame they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my rock, the, the Lord has become my stronghold, and my God the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out as the Ashishim. Very good. So um, again you can you can see the tone of God delivering. God delivering. I want to remind us, I don't want to minimize our importance to be good citizens. In other words, to uh, vote, to participate in communication with our representatives. But we need to understand that wickedness and the rot that is at the core of what's going on around us will not be delivered in our own strength. We have a call to be faithful, 
We have a call to be involved, but it is the Spirit of God who's going to bring deliverance. So as we look at this passage, it, it begins, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs. Um, you know, we don't like to talk about vengeance too much. You know, one of the uh, eschatology books um, that's up on my desk right now that I use as, as a small reference, but, but it's called Days of Vengeance by Ken Gentry, Days of Vengeance. We, we don't like the term vengeance. Again, I, I mentioned in the beginning one of the reasons that we kind of push off from that is we, we're guilty ourselves. We know we have unrepentant sin or sin that we just won't turn and face, and so we're uncomfortable asking God to bring his vengeance. Um, we need to repent and then ask him to bring his judgments, to come in judgment. So we know that vengeance belongs to God. We know that we shouldn't do it. We know the scriptures tell us that God says, uh, both in the Pentateuch and then also in the New Testament, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So we're not to bring vengeance. We are to ask God to do it. And, and then again, it repeats it, O God, to whom vengeance belongs. And then it says, shine forth. Okay? When we think about it, when you get the blessing at the end of the service and we talk about God make his face to shine upon you, does that, does that bring any warmth to you when you think about that? Right? It, it's sort of like this. When you were a child, there were times that your father looked upon you and you smiled and it brought warmth to you. And there were other times when your father looked upon you and it brought terror to you. And, and maybe it's just me. Perhaps it wasn't you at all. Right? But there were times. Yes, sir, you had a comment? Sure. So that's a good question. Some folks, and I know Jonathan over here frequently, uh, White, Jonathan over here frequently um, will call for God to bring them to repentance or tear them down in some fashion or another. I think that's uh, appropriate, um, and, and there's, there's certainly some guidance to be had there. But I, I would encourage you, pray. You need to be praying God, bring them to repentance or remove them. Help them to seek guidance from your word or remove their counselors. Right? Take it to God. That's part of what we should be doing. And we should be, a lot. again, sometimes we get uncomfortable. We think, wait a minute. You know, it's, it's, about, it's sort of like the, the approach to the imprecatory psalms. And that's really what Advent is about. It's about calling God to come as a judge and a deliverer. And so when we think about that, you think about, okay, um, as we approach a psalm and we look at that, these are prayers. These are, are directed towards God. And when you say, shine forth, we want God to look upon and bring his judgment against the wicked. <coughs>
the end of uh, verse, the end of verse one. It says, "Oh, it says." You see that? Yeah. Okay. That's right, um, but I and and the and again that whole thing is for God to place His gaze. Remember, God gave us ears, and ears are the organ of submission, and eyes are the organ of judgment. Right? We make judgments with our eyes. Often, we'd be wise as human beings to see to understand that we have finite vision, and to use our ears before we come to complete judgment on things. Those of us low lights that just came in, what, what verse are we? We're in Psalm 94. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm going to pick up the pace just a little bit here. So right after this, it says, Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Remember, when the scriptures emphasize something and they say it twice, so at the beginning we get vengeance twice in verse 1. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. So we see that, and then, then at verse 3, Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? So, so the emphasis is, Lord, come in judgment. Come, redeem your people, deliver your people, and bring judgment. And why are they, well, you know, they're, they're, they're not just hanging around. They're hanging around in depth. Verse 4, they utter speech and they speak insolent things. All workers of iniquity boast in themselves, right? They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. The heritage in this case is not about culture. This heritage is about the saints of God. It is all of the saints now and all the ones coming, the heritage moving forward, right? And then since they slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Now remember, in the Old Testament, God gives very specific protections to the widow and the fatherless. And when you look at the whole of the Old Testament and you look at what the prophets say, every time that God comes in judgment against the people of Israel, one of the exact things that they are doing is oppressing the widow and the orphan. He brings that up. You can find that over and over again throughout the Old Testament where the prophets are bringing and God is speaking judgment to the people of Israel. That's always a part of it. That's always a part of it. Now, regardless of your economic thoughts in the world, what we are doing currently is oppressive to the orphan and the widow. Most of our programs create more chaos, and there's a lot of research that points to this, um, that all of these efforts um, to alleviate poverty bring more oppression. There's, a, there's a, uh, a writer named Jason Riley. I think he'll be the heir apparent to uh, Thomas Sowell, uh, for those of you who know who he is. But Jason Riley... He has a book called Please Stop Helping Us, okay, and he's an African-American gentleman talking about the government's intervention into poverty and how it's, it's hurting people of color. And, and so it's not about intentions, it's about real effect, okay? And so here we see um, that, they, that these insolent folks, these workers of iniquity, they're proud, 
They know the answers. They don't need to submit themselves to God's word in these directions. And not only that, that they, but they cast off all of God's word and they go against the weakest and vulnerable. And murder, I would argue, babies in the womb. Did I say it wrong? What did I say? I'm sorry. Okay. I, heard, I heard you totally wrong. Okay. <laughs> so then, yet, yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor the God of Jacob understand. I have a question. You guys remember earlier this year in the summer when we were studying, I think it was Psalm 10, right? And there's this whole, con- this whole uh, breakdown of God doesn't hear, God doesn't see. We see this reflected again right here. And, and then you can see that not only is there, there this cry out to God, not only is this, this contrast here, but all of a sudden there's correction going on. Correction. Understand, you senseless among the people, and you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nation, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge. The Lord knows the thoughts of man and that they are futile. Now, when I hear that, I think of other passages of Scripture where we we think about the idols, right? Where God speaks specifically about how they worship idols with eyes and ears and mouths and other things. And all these things they're worshiping. And they can't speak, and they can't hear, and they can't think, and they can't do all the other things that are carved out on all these other idols that you see, right? And, and so it's like, no, God created man. You see, that, that's the problem with the, the, whole, the whole issue of, of protecting life in this country. We, the, the real issue comes down to we don't want to submit ourselves to believe that God Almighty God created us, right? Because then we're going to have to, we're going to be challenged in the way we live, and we're going to do it in such a way that we're going to kill and murder even babies in the womb. So we take the turn in verse 12, and it says, Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach us out of your law, that you may give him rest in the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment will return to to righteousness, and the upright in heart will follow it. (coughs) In this particular section here where the turn is, we're told that the man is blessed whom God instructs. What's that? The ear of... The, the, the ear being the organ of submission. So when we submit ourselves to God, when God enables us to hear and understand, um, he teaches us out of his law. And we get rest from God in the days of adversity. Right? How do we, get, how do we go to sleep and actually rest? We have to rest in God. Because are there a lot of questions about the stability of the future? Absolutely. Now, that's not to say we should ignore a level of preparation. But at the same time, we need to know that God's going to bring the deliverance in the days of adversity. And God does dig a pit for the wicked. And you know how he does that? He hands the wicked their shovels. 
And the things that they try to build, they dig and dig and they try to build up. And God gives them over to the desires of their own hearts. And they construct something and it becomes a pit to themselves. And they fall in it and their construction falls upon them. That's how God destroys the wicked through the building of their own ways of worship and places of worship. And the, the, the psalmist reminds us that the Lord will not cast off his people. That should bring all of us comfort. And why won't, somebody answer, why won't God cast off his people? Because of the work of Jesus Christ, right? That's why he, he does that. That's why we can call for God to come with vengeance. Were you purposely referencing Samson? You know, like, well, that's Samson a good example. That wasn't the exact one I had in mind. Be, because I, I've me. always been curious about ties between Christ and Samson and the place of worship that Christ tore down, stretching his arms out between the pillars, was the temple, which is pretty crazy imagery if that's... yeah. No, I, I think that. I think of the Tower of Babel, and I think of all of the things that we build. I think things like um, higher education, um, government, um, our, our own constructs, you know, sexuality, all these things that we construct to be holy things. You know, the thing that bothered me the most about that little kerfuffle that happened at the Capitol on January the 6th, was it? Yeah. Right? Is it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't that there was a kerfuffle. It wasn't that there was a little bit of conflict. It had to do with the words that the people, um, the politicians were using after it. It was downright disturbing in my stomach to hear them refer to sacred and hallowed and like they're the, this is the church. It is their God in so, in so many ways. But... But, of course, anyway, we, that's the whole thing. We construct temples. We construct things out there that become our, our idols and gods and our places of worship. And we have to be careful to, to recognize, again, there's a, there's a balance to be struck between being involved in politics and looking at politics to change the world. We have a responsibility to vote, a responsibility to participate, and maybe... In some ways, somebody here to even run for office, as hard and ugly as that may be. But at, but at the same time, remember that that's not going to change hearts. That's not going to solve the core issues. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So verse 16, <clears throat> who will rise up for me against the evildoers? So after he states how you know, God won't abandon God, uh, protects his people, he then says, who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Obviously, that's a proverbial question. That's, that kind of brings us that question. Like, we all know the answer to that. And then the, I would say, do we? Do we believe that? Do we pray for that? Do we ask for God to come? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? And here's the thing. Verse 17, unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. Now, in that silence, that, that silence there is death. If you look at it and you kind of dig into that a little bit, you see that, that without 
the Lord helping, we come to death. And, of course, the first in that part is, without the gospel, we come to eternal death. But, but God also sustains our life, our breath that he has given us. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. If my foot slips, if I'm in peril, if I fall into temptation, if I sin, what holds us up? God and his mercy, the work of Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, right? In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight in my soul. Now, today, <clears throat> I think the word anxiety has taken on a kind of different meaning than it was in my childhood, teen years, maybe even early college. It's like anxiety is at every corner. I don't know if anybody, does anybody here listen to Albert Moeller's The Briefing? Anybody? Just me. Occasionally. He had a post last week about the use of medicines for anxiety, and I think sometimes those are very necessary. Well, they talked about the extreme rise of it, but, but there's a secondary component that there is a humongous rise in anxiety drugs being prescribed for pets. Now, again, there might be some, some actual physiological issue that a pet needs to be calm or whatever, or anxiety and, and this sort of thing, and some of that is created because we overbreed or we do different things or, or an animal suffered abuse. They carry the anxiety of their masters. They carry the anxiety of their masters. Yeah, yeah, it's a reflection. Well, the and and yet God does give animals good sense, and they do actually they do actually sense the the emotions of their of their their owners. Um, but there was also almost a one hundred to one hundred percent correlation between if the pet owner was on some type of medication as to the fact that the pet was on medication for that. Um, but but having looked at that, when I first saw this word anxiety, I thought I got to look this up. I, I I've got I've got to make sure that at least in today's context that we're understanding the intent. And in fact, it's about you know another way to put it in older language is my soul is disquieted. It is anxiety. It is fear. That kind of br- brings me back to the beginning about why don't we call for God to come as the deliverer to come as a judge, to come as our deliverer. Well, it's because we have anxiety. But because, of, remember the line before that, my soul would have soon have settled in silence if, if I say my foot slips. It's your mercy who will hold me up. We need to recognize that it is Christ who holds us up. It is his forgiveness of our sins that we can trust and count on And that is what keeps us from having to have such large anxieties, okay? That that it's our trust in God and his complete forgiveness and the fact that he is completely involved in our life. It's not like God created the world and then flung it out there and it's been running on its own and he occasionally comes in. No, he's involved in your life. 
he's involved. And our comforts delight my soul. I looked at that line also like, okay, what does this mean? And when you look at the Hebrew on it, it really comes down to the very closest of intimacy is, is how God comforts us. It isn't from a distance, but, but this, this word could actually be, think about the most physical, intimate thing that God has provided us, sexual union. This word could also be understood in that way. And all, all I'm trying to convey to you is how intensely close, because of the, the work of Jesus Christ, God is in your life. We often don't feel it. We don't think it. We struggle with believing it. But he is, in fact, right the, here, not there, right here with you and me in this space. And in all the trials and difficulties and all the wickedness we see out there, because of the work of Jesus Christ, we are in union with Christ as his bride. He is with us. And we can look to God, not, not because we're so good, but because Christ is righteous. Right? We can look to God to come and bring deliverance. Verse 20. Shall the throne of iniquity which devises evil by law have fellowship with you? Think about that. How, how does that apply today? Anybody got thoughts on that? Biden's saying he's a good Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> right? Shall the throne of iniquity which devises evil by law now, we know they've hijacked all kinds of things with executive orders and, and letting the courts rule on things and calling it law. But they, there are, if you've been paying attention, have you seen the kinds of bills that are being proposed these days? Well, that's right. What about, what about um, letting your babies die up to 21 days after birth? That was in the Maryland legislature. It's twice now that it's made it at least as a proposed bill. That is from a throne of iniquity. From their place of power, they're devising evil by trying to pass laws. Okay? Do they have fellowship with you? That's to God. And of course, we know the answer to that. They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. So they gather against... The sun, think of Psalm 2, right? They gather together, they conspire, they're, they're going to throw off the, the bonds, they're going to go against the very life. What do they want? They don't want us to have children. They hate all of life so much they want to kill it in the womb. They're at every turn. They don't want you to live righteously. They want you to live in sin, and they condemn innocent blood. Here's our deliverance. But the Lord has been my defense and my God, the rock of my refuge. He has brought on them their own iniquity, right? He's given them over, as it says in Romans 1, to their own desires. And we see in that manner that what they've constructed, what they've built, like the Tower of Babel or like Samson and the Philistine Temple, and many, many other places, and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. 
So when we look at a psalm of Advent like this, we're saying, come, Lord. Now listen, um, I also think that one of the reasons that we are uncomfortable at times calling for this isn't just about our own sin, but it's also because we've grown up in a culture that has overemphasized the mercy and grace of God and have minimized the holiness of of God, the call to live righteously. Yes, sir? Why is this a song of Advent? Sure. So it's a song of Advent because Advent is to look for the, the coming of Christ. Think about this. We always think, okay, Jesus is born, right? Yay, we've got Advent. He's come, right? But he didn't come just as a Savior, did he? Think about all of his interactions with the people of Israel, right? Think about that. He came, and and you start at the very beginning of the Gospels, and what do you see outside of the birth of Christ? John the Baptist? And what does he do? He's calling for repentance. And who pushes back against that call to repentance with John the Baptist? Anybody? Right, that's Jesus, right? But but what? Do we, and we're going to come to him in a second. But who pushed back? Who didn't receive the call to repentance from John the Baptist? Pharisees. The Pharisees, the priests, those in those in religious and political power. They didn't want to have anything to do with John, right? And he was the forerunner. And then Jesus comes and he preaches the gospel, and we we have a tendency to. Narrow the gospel down that Jesus came to die for our sins. We, we miss the other part. Jesus not only died for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven, but he is king. Because all of this, if Jesus were to die and be resurrected, that'd be great. But you see, when he ascends and comes to the right hand of the Father... And the Father sets him on the throne, and he puts all the world under his feet. And all authority in heaven and on earth is given to him. That's the validation. That's the the vindication of Jesus Christ. Right? When that happens, and it's already happened, he is king. And so the the, the good news is that the king died for us. The king delivered us from our sins. And because of his great love, because of that sacrifice, the father raised him and put him on his throne to his right hand from which all authority emanates. That's what gives us hope in his coming, right? Because all this is about other people pretending to be king over Jesus Christ. So we can find our relief in God. So the answer is, why is this Advent? Because it is calling for God to come. Advent is about the coming of God. And it isn't just the warm and fuzzy baby in a manger. He came as king. He came to reign, to crush the head of the serpent, and all of his minions after that, and to deliver his people. Uh, I... I was curious about, I think in uh, verse 23 for you, you have the Lord will cut them 
off. Is that yeah. correct? Yes. In uh, in the ESV, it's will wipe them out. And I thought this was a different verb, and I had an interesting thought about that. Looked it up. One of the primary definitions, I don't know why they chose to translate it this way, but is to silence. So it's very interesting. It's it's a fitting uh, punishment that he, uh, the speaker, is worried about going to the, the land of silence, you know, the place of the dead. But that's what the Lord's going to do to them. It's this, uh, I forget what that's called, a fitting, yeah, punishment. And, and the, the, the part here is we cannot escape the holiness of God. We cannot escape the kingship of Jesus Christ. Okay? We, we, we need to, it needs to bring us to repentance, and it needs to drive us to pray that others, that God bring others to repentance or remove them, cut them off, let their own devices fall upon them. I I I want them to come to know Christ. But if but if they won't, if they won't submit to God, yes, Lord, remove them, take them out. Not my job, it's God's job. Any other questions or comments before we wrap it up? Okay. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you, O Lord, for your kindness. We rejoice that you are king and that you are deliverer of your people. Lord, we ask this day that you would prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant with us. Come, Lord, come. In Jesus' name, amen.